Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Horse Racing Show. I'm Kenny Rice, and this is Episode 3, and a lot to talk about today. Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Are you still awake from the Super Bowl? Did you enjoy the commercials more? Well, it was an interesting Super Bowl because we had some records set in that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And it's time to think about dynasties. Are the New England Patriots a dynasty? Dynasties, that's what we like in sports, because we can root for them, or in many cases, root against them. Dynasty. Now, I'm not talking John Forsythe, Joan Collins, Linda Evans dynasty. That was unquestionably a dynasty. We're talking about sports dynasties. Our researcher, Thomas Kenny, here with us. Uh, there's some records in that Super Bowl to add to this maybe dynasty. Yep. Well, first of all, you've got the New England Patriots are now tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers for six Super Bowl wins in the franchise history. Uh, you've got Tom Brady now, has, as well as being the oldest player to ever win a Super Bowl. He now has the most Super Bowl wins as a player, with six total. Wow. His coach and partner in crime, Bill Belichick, also six Super Bowl wins, makes him the winning most coach in Super Bowl history. Man, that's, that's impressive. So I think the Patriots, you could call them a dynasty in football. And the Steeler fans, you can argue also a dynasty. Uh, other sports dynasties that you would consider or at least make a great argument that this was a dynasty they controlled the situation for a long time well it's hard to talk about dynasties without mentioning the new york yankees as far as baseball goes 27 total world series victories second place in that category st louis cardinals with 11 my st louis cardinals yes big cardinal fan go ahead uh you've got yogi berra a yankee who has the most world series wins as a player with 10 uh, the Boston Celtics, you know, New England Patriots, while they're the dynasty right now, they're not the dynasty in New England. The Boston Celtics would be that in the NBA, I believe, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boston Celtics have won, I believe, 17 NBA 17. championships. Yeah. The most recent one would be 2008. And then in college football, there's this uh, team down south. They didn't win it this year, but they won a lot in the past. Yeah, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, since the invention of polls in college football, they've won 12 championships. They've won three before the invention of polls. And funnily enough, the most championships recognized by the NCAA with 18 is Yale. Ooh, the Eli. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and when was that last national recognized championship of theirs? 1927. I remember it well. That was I hadn't bet on Donnerell, but I bet on uh, I bet on Yale to win it that year, 1927. I remember that well. Gosh, <laughs> that was a long time ago, uh, and it was a whole different world back then too. Obviously, college football was played mostly in the East at that time. They didn't make it that far down south. They were playing, but not at that level. Certainly not out west. But uh, horse racing dynasties, most uh, owner with the most Kentucky Derby victories. That would be Calumet Farm with eight. Hmm. Had a streak starting in the 40s, ending in 1967, I believe. Uh, 1968, sorry, with yeah. forward pass. Yeah, the disqualified winner of the Kentucky Derby. The, the only victory by disqualification in Kentucky Derby history. The controversial one. Yeah, Dancer's Image crossed the line first, but was disqualified due to a urine sample taken after the race, showing signs of the then-banned drug... And you'll have to forgive me. This is a long one. I, I don't even know it myself. It's phenobutazone. Yes. That's very good. <laughs> Not only our trivia, but our pharmacy expert today. Thank you, Thomas. And you know, talk about Calumet Farm winning all those and dominating the 40s and 50s. It's a different world now. In sports teams, we can still have dynasties or argue about dynasties. Maybe... Uh, some think that uh, right now Golden State Warriors and the NBA are, are a dynasty-like. They're winning it. They're the team to beat every year. 
not that far back, the San Francisco Giants in baseball were putting together a little dynasty as well uh, for about a four or five year streak. You always had to keep an eye on them. But horse racing has changed more than any other sport. It's not that old system anymore where Calumet Farm would be breeding and racing their own horses and having their trainer, which Ben Jones primarily, who I believe is the winningest derby winning trainer of all time. Yep. He has six derby wins under his belt. Has six. On his heels right now is Bob Baffert with five after winning uh, with Justify this past year. But it won't exist anymore. There will be no more dynasties of one owner, uh, be it a farm or be it a conglomerate, because of the uh, syndication out there. People can buy in. People are even buying into horses as the Triple Crown goes along. That's just the way it is. It's a matter of the economics of horse racing right now. So we won't ever see another dynasty in horse racing. We will not see one owner. Now, we may see some individuals. Bob Baffert's always going to be on the scene. Uh, We've got a guy coming up, our special guest today. He's always going to be in contention, at least for a few more years, as uh, being a a guy that can win another jockey uh, victory or two to tie him. Well, I don't know if he'll catch up to Eddie Arcaro and Bill Hartack, I believe, Thomas, are the winningest Kentucky Derby jockeys ever. Mm -hmm. Five apiece. Five apiece. Okay, so that's going to be tough. But anyway... Uh, dynasties out there, they don't exist in horse racing anymore. Let's, just look at this past year and all the different owners of Justify. It wasn't just one ownership that brought him to the track. And guys were buying in and wheeling and dealing. We're going to talk with a guy who's written a book about that. It'll be joining us just a little later on. But I want to get back to Tom Brady being at 41, the oldest uh, winning Super Bowl player ever, much less quarterback. But imagine this as a quarterback. Obviously, you go out there and you got your one coach. Now, he's going to be calling in plays. Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, is going to be calling in plays to the headset, although obviously Brady at his level can do pretty much what he wants. But in horse racing, imagine a 52-year-old jockey winning a triple crown. It can't happen. But it did last year with Hall of Famer Mike Smith. He'll be our first guest today. We'll talk about that. And what always fascinates me about jockeys, imagine if Tom Brady had a different coach for each quarter. And not only that, he had to go to the sideline and talk to the coach about the strategy for that particular quarter, and maybe a different owner was there with him who wanted him to take pictures with his son and his family and his daughters and his grandkids. That's what jockeys do all the time. Some of these guys riding six to eight races. Mike doesn't have to ride as many anymore. He can pick and choose. But still, before each race, they talk to the trainer. They get their instructions. Usually the owner comes down. Usually they have their family with them. They want to talk to the jockey a little bit and say, hey, how you doing? Maybe have a quick uh, self he snapped with the with the son or daughter hey look i know this famous jockey or this famous trainer so that's what jockeys have to deal with mike smith will talk about that and why at 52 he is still as good as anybody out there in the game later on we'll talk to lenny shulman who's one of the best writers covering horse racing anywhere and he has a book about justify that'll be coming out soon we'll break down the process to lead up to those incredible 111 days that may justify a legend, maybe a controversial one in some eyes, more on that. And then the esteemed veterinarian, Dr. Larry Bramlage, will all join us. Stay with us, and remember to follow us on Facebook, on the YouTube channel, on iTunes, on Google Play. You can call us at home. No, don't do that, but just do all the other stuff. And you're watching the Horse Racing Show, and coming up next, Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Horse Racing Show. Delighted to have with us a good friend and one of the greatest jockeys of all time, and he's still going, Mike Smith, the Triple Crown winner aboard Justify, joins us now from his home in California. Mike, it's good to catch up with you. How are you? I'm doing well. Getting really good. Thank you. People still talking to you about Justify? Oh, yeah. No, that's something that uh, that never gets old. Boy, that's... Uh... That's, that's one of those life-changing things there, man. It's, it, it gets better the more, the more each day that passes, it even gets better. You know, I was on a show, uh, a radio show, and someone was asking me about Tom Brady and how would this be if he won the Super Bowl. Of course, this was before the game. And he said, 41, ain't this amazing? Wow, look what he's doing. I said, you know, I know another guy that's doing some pretty good stuff, and he's like 53 now, and he's still one of the top jockeys in the world, and that's Mike Smith. So you're you're amazing that you stay in the shape you're in. I would guess you're almost as good as you were at 30, Mike. I mean, to look at you, you look in incredible shape. You know, uh, if I did anything right, Kenny, that was, you know, I took up physical fitness at, at a very young age and just 
you know, made it a way of life, and I really stuck with it. So it's it's really paying off, uh, paying off now. You know, in, in my later years of my career. Has there been a moment where you thought, well, I don't know, I'm a little sore today. I don't know, I've got a little bit of a pain today. <laughs> it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, oh, there's there's plenty of those moments. Uh, you know, you just gotta you gotta just fight through them and just just get through it. And, and once you once you start to work out, you start releasing those natural endorphins, and then you start feeling good, and then. You pull your way through it, and, and then uh, everything's fine after that. Are you still running the San Gabriel Mountains? And for those that have not seen Santa Anita in person, the San Gabriel Mountains are a beautiful backdrop to one of the prettiest tracks around Santa Anita, where Mike rides a lot now. And uh, I know you used to run the mountains up there. I got tired of hearing you running the mountains. That's how strenuous this <laughs> is. You know, I, I, I don't run them as much, but I still hike it quite a bit. You know, just a good speed walk, uh, uh probably about a mile and a half up sometimes two miles up and then come on down and i just use it for you know my cardio whenever i'm i'm doing a lot of cardio i'll use the mountain for that it's certainly it keeps you it keeps that air in you i'll tell you that well is uh, and and hiking those mountains are a little different than a friendly hike around the park by the way if anybody hasn't seen it it's a little steep mike that mile and a half <laughs> i tell you what it really is it's a, it's a good hike man it's, it's a great workout once you get uh fitting up where you can actually you know jog it at a slow pace you're you're pretty fit what's the most important thing if there was like one or two body parts that a jockey really has to stay in shape or is the most vulnerable if if they start getting weak or getting hurt is there a couple of things particularly about uh riding a horse that you really have to have in great shape to continue to do it at your level you know uh, legs of course are are, are key on in anything you know you gotta gotta, gotta keep the legs strong but uh back as well you know i got hurt in 1998 Kenny. i broke my back pretty pretty bad i, I crushed two vertebrates uh up in saratoga in 1998 so i really got to work on my back and keep it strong and as long as i do that i i man i it's, it's like i said uh, i still feel every bit as good right now at 53 is when i was 30 years old i mean i'm doing really good and so far i'm able to, to keep that up good lord's willing we'll stay healthy as long as i don't get hurt again i i think i got another good five years left in me oh at least you know, you'll probably get, and I said this on the show last week, you had a shot at uh, beating Shoemaker's record among the many records you already own or closing in on as the oldest jockey to win a derby. You know, he's 54 when Ferdinand won it in 86. Was he 54? Wow, well, I got a chance then. I got a chance because I, 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 honestly, I'm, I'm so blessed to be course riding, you know, for the right people and the right kind of horses and, and uh, staying in really, really good shape. And I, I, I feel wonderful. I'm uh, I started out this year probably as good, if not better, than I've ever started out. To be honest with you, we're on a roll right now. I just got to keep it going. As far as uh, back in your young days of racing, was there anyone that you looked up to that, that uh, said, you know, stay in shape, stay focused, whatever advice that young athletes get from the veteran athletes at that time that has inspired you or kept you going? You know, I I was blessed to come around a, a, an era, you know, where, where the, the old riders that, that were, you know, a few years uh, older than me were just tremendous, man. I mean, you know, I you know, in the Midwest, Pat Day was, was a big mentor to me uh, early on in my career. <clears throat> and then I became great friends with, with, with all the great riders. And, and I, you know, I used to talk to Lafitte, even though I was on the West Coast, I talked to Lafitte a lot of times and, about fitness and health. And, and uh, you know, he really... He's the one that really, when I, when, if you ever get, a, if you ever gotten a chance to see what kind of shape Lafitte's in, he's 72 years old right now. I think he just did 10 legged, 10 one legged squats last time I saw him. We were at my wedding. He could do them like they were nothing. I mean, he's just an incredible athlete. He stays in such great shape, and you know, I kind of really looked up to him as well. And and, and that's what kind of got me into into working out at a, at a young age. And and again, you know, I, I was like I said, I was blessed to come around so many great riders. Cordero, getting a chance to talk to him, you know, Bailey Stevens, and, and <clears throat> Eddie D. I mean, when you guys got when you have guys like that mentoring you, you, you can't go wrong. You know, you mentioned the '98. I remember that spill well uh, when you had the the broken back. Uh, probably had you not been in the shape you were even then, you've always been in great shape. Uh, as far as the recovery process. I imagine not just a major injury like that, but little aches and pains and a few cracks here and there is probably the shape you're in keeps you going to heal quicker. I'm, I'm just taking a shot there. 
you know, no, that's exactly what the doctor said too. That if I wasn't in the shape that I was in, and I was in really, really good shape when that happened, that uh, they don't know what 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 could have happened. Uh, it, it could have been a whole lot worse. And 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 staying in that kind of shape, I was able to come back, which was probably a little bit too quick when I came back. But they said I'd be off about a year and four months, and I, I made it back. And I think it was just under seven months, and I was already back in the saddle riding. So. You know, it certainly helps to stay in that kind of shape because uh, when when you do get hurt, I mean, that's going to happen in this sport. You're able to, to, to come back a whole lot quicker. I was talking earlier, Mike, you know, talking about Tom Brady, and I said, imagine a jockey, uh, imagine a quarterback between uh, every quarter had to go over and there's a new coach telling him new things and he's got uh, some family members he wants him to meet or take a selfie with, which is what you jockeys have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, you're probably not riding six to eight races like like the, back in the days, but uh, you're riding enough. And these guys that are still riding that every every time they got a new coach just about for every race. So how much information can a trainer really give you in that short period of time in the paddock before they call riders up and you get in the saddle? Well, I mean, at this stage of my career, they've hired me because they know I'm I'm going to do my homework. I, I I already know probably the strategy going in. Uh, you know what 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 what's good about uh, you know talking to a trainer is, is the little things that they do. They might have a bad habit, you know, maybe lugging in, getting out. Uh, they hit the front too soon. You know, they might really wait on other horses. Uh, you know, stuff like that 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 helps out. But once once um, there's not too many of uh, especially the, the, it seems like to me uh, for the trainers that I that I ride for anyway. I mean, like like Bob, he not one time ever told me what to do with Justify. He you know he hired me for a reason, and he pretty much knew I was going to do it. What needed to be done, and if that didn't work, well, we go to plan B or C, whatever it took. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, like like I said, most most of the time now, uh, when they tell you something, it's just about the bad habits that they might have, or or, or, or the good habits that they have. You know, this horse really runs the turn well, or, or or does this, and stuff like that always helps if you've never been on them before. Bob Baffert before the before the Belmont. What was the situation like in the paddock? You and Baffert before the Belmont, and you've got the Triple Crown on the line, and trying to stay unbeaten and all eyes are on you. I mean, well, anything that you remember from that moment that was said just before he gave you the leg up? Well, not only is he an unbelievable trainer, he's just an incredible trainer. He's a great coach, too, man. He didn't he doesn't add any extra pressure to you. And fortunate for me, he had been through this, you know, before more than once, you know, where he was going for it. And, and uh, man, he just stayed happy-go-lucky. He said, we're just blessed to be here right now. Let's just enjoy this. You know, he kept it, he kept it light. You know, we knew what we had to do, and, and uh, we just were, were, were so fortunate that we got out of the gate very well, and everything everything went well. And you know, couldn't ask for a better trip uh, that day. But he 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 helps you uh, stay cool and calm. Was there ever a moment when you're going out of the paddock and you come through the tunnel, and there you emerge, and there's ninety thousand people cheering? Was there ever a moment where you said, "Wow, I'm, I'm about uh, two and a half minutes or so away from winning the triple crown"? <laughs> I tell you, I, I will tell you where there was a moment. We, we left the gate so well, and we're going around that first turn, and and I got a. I, I wish the camera could have zoomed in on me because I had a smile from ear to ear. I had to keep telling myself, "Hey, stay focused, man. I was, <laughs> you got a job to do." So I had to really, really, really get after myself a little bit. That's how excited I was about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I really what I love about you and have for years, and uh, you know the same with Baffert and several in this game, is how much you enjoy it. And I can't say that for everyone. You know, there's a lot of guys, I mean, it's a job, and like all of us have jobs, and, and you kind of think it's a job. But I think you're one of the guys that's always enjoyed it uh, as much as anyone I've been around. I, you know, I'd have to agree with you, Ken. I, I, I truly do, man. I'm, I'm, and I'm having more fun right now riding horses than I did in, in when I was in my 30s. Uh, I just uh, I've, I have a passion for horses that, that's crazy, and it just seems – seems to keep getting stronger and stronger as, as, as I get older. Uh, and I hope it continues that way. I guess, you know, when, when that stops, well, it'll be time to hang it up. But but right now, I, I can't wait to get on my next horse. You got a derby horse yet? I'm working hard on it right now. Uh, we got a colt that was second uh, in the in the Beverly D. Lewis. I mean, uh, the, the Bob Lewis the other day, a horse called Gunmetal Gray that, that I've been riding for Jerry Holland offers. So, We'll see how he goes. He's going to have to step it up his next, you know, his next race, and we'll see how he does. And then, uh, you know, just put uh, put some feelers out there for as many many of them as I can, and see what happens. You know. Do you need references or anything? I mean, I know you got a pretty good resume. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we've been we've been blessed with, you know, of course, you know, coming off the Triple Crown year certainly helps, uh, you know, in situations like that if someone's needing a rider. But, uh, yeah, if you see anything live, let me know. <laughs> I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, you're too good a friend. <laughs> you know what? It was amazing. I was looking at daily racing form before I voted on the Eclipse Awards, and this is uh, in early December. Wins by grade one, uh, grade one wins. That's the best for those that are casual fans that are kind of enjoying the fun part of this show. That's the best you can get, grade one wins. And you let everybody in the nation in grade one wins, even though you're not riding nearly at the clip of uh, the volume of rides that you used to have. That's, that's why they call you Big Money Mike. You step up and you win the big races. Well, thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. That's, that's what we try to do, you know. Uh, and, and that's kind of uh, by plan. My, I have, my agent, Brad Pegram, just does a tremendous job of, of, you know, really looking for those those kind of, you know, horses and, and those types of races and, and uh, you know, has done just done a tremendous job of keeping me on those kinds. So i got to give him a whole lot of the credit. How nervous were you in 2005 when Jerry Moss sticks a winning ticket in your boot and you're on this horse named Giacomo that's 50-1? to 1? You're not even supposed to be there, and you win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> that was a you moment. Know, it's funny, it's, it's although the, he was fifty to one, I, I thought the way the race looked like it was going to set up from for us, I thought he had a heck of a chance to run huge. And, and if things really worked out right, we could, we could win this thing. So, although we were fifty to one, I, I went in thinking we had a heck of a chance, and, and uh, lo and behold, we, we we pulled it off. And, and I'd, I'd forgotten about that ticket till we were in the press. We were in the press conference afterwards, and I remembered about it. I reached down in there, and it was all wet and soggy and everything. I pulled it out. It was, it was a two hundred dollar win ticket, which paid uh, ten thousand. So I got an extra ten thousand for the whole deal. That was that was uh, <laughs> not wet enough that you couldn't cash it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, well, no, I got a cash. And, and the whole day was just I mean, it was Mr. Mawson's birthday. We win the Kentucky Derby. I got a ticket in my boot. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better, a better afternoon. I'll tell you that. No, that that was a fun day, perfect day, uh, just like it was watching you win all through the Triple Crown on Justify, and and you're a, you're you're relatively a newlywed right now. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, we got married on the thirteenth. Uh, just really enjoying it right now. We haven't gotten a chance to take a honeymoon yet, but uh, we're hoping we get to do that pretty soon. Maybe just before Del Mar kicks up, or right after Del Mar, we'll uh, we'll. Uh, Probably go to St. Lucia. One of the owners, uh, one of the partners in Justify with China Horse Club is prime minister there in St. Lucia. And after the Triple Crown, he'd mentioned something about honeymoon in St. Lucia. And I I thought that sounded pretty darn good. <laughs> it, it's good to know people. It's good to know people, Mike. It, it certainly is. So I got to, I got to, uh, reach out to him before, before uh, the Triple Crown stuff wears off. Of course, Triple Crown stuff never wears off. So I guess I'll, I'll have time to, to see if I can get that done. Oh, man, listen, it's great to talk to you, and, and always a pleasure, and we'll catch up again uh, maybe a little closer to we get ready for the Derby. Sounds wonderful, Gene. Thanks for having me on, man. Anytime, just give me a call. Always a pleasure, Mike Smith. Thank you very much. The Hall of Famer, he's as good as it gets. And remember, you're watching the Horse Racing Channel on YouTube. You can follow us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, or uh, Twitter at Horse Racing Show. Yeah, that's pretty easy because it's a horse racing show. We'll be back with more. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Horse Racing Show. I'm Kenny Rice. Thank you for joining us this week. This guy is a longtime friend of mine. He is a terrific talent. We've talked about trying to get as good as it gets guests on here and this is certainly one of them. There's some terrific riders out there, but uh, none better than Lenny Shulman in covering the sport of horse racing. He has written a book about jockeys. He's written two novels, and he has a new book coming out about Justify. Welcome to the show, Lenny. Thanks, Kenny. And, and you know what? We really are old friends going back to a trip to San Diego back in the early noughts. That the, the was uh, very memorable. It's always Always great to see you. The trouble with us is we actually enjoy and have fun covering horse racing. And I don't like to do that too often because I don't want to upset the old guard because we got to protect the integrity of the sport. Yeah, no, we're, we're looked upon as freaks. You know, we're, we're off in the corner laughing and everybody else is doing whatever they're doing. So. You know what I like? Uh, some of the guests, we had Mike Pegram on the first yeah. show. We just had Mike Smith on today. Uh, the people that really enjoy it. You know, they, you, they seem to always enjoy it. They're having a bad day. Oh, well. Yeah. 
Well, I, I feel bad that I'm not named Mike now. I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not fitting with the pattern here, but we can, we we'll can call change e that. Let's I'm call loose. it. We'll call each other Mike the rest of the way. <laughs> Very loose. Kenny yes. and Lenny, no, Mike and Mike. Wait no, <laughs> wait, no, we'll have to deal with Espen on that. We can't do Mike and Mike, although I don't think that's on anymore. I forget. Anyway, anyway I think we're going to talk about your book. This well, let's talk about where we are. This for people tuning in. This, this yes. is a, a, if the nuclear war comes, you want to be in this location where we are now. We're in a bunker outside Nicholasville. Yes, right next to Joey's lizards and, yeah. and tropical fish. Yes, and uh, it, it's amazing. What? Well, this is where you wait out the nuclear war. We've have uh, we have a refrigerator. We have a bathroom. Uh, we've got an asteroids game from like. Uh, <laughs> From, I don't know, when, good gracious, when was that? Like 1972? I don't know, whenever it came out. Yeah. I, I think in here we've got uh, Scott Hall who puts all this together. You know, we got Steven Seagal and movie memorabilia. We got a guitar. If you get yeah. bored, Lenny, anytime yeah. during this, pick it up. Feel free to play. It's the ultimate pirate radio location. Isn't here. it, though? This is where you'll be broadcasting to, to, to who's ever surviving the, the Holocaust. It's great. We're here to save horse racing and save you, so keep it tuned to the Horse Racing Channel. You heard it from Lenny Shulman. This is where you need to be. <laughs> really need to be. You really need to be. Nogales, Arizona, in the middle of the 20th century, would have needed an alarm clock to reach the level of being sleepy. <laughs> you just don't find that with anybody else covering this sport. Therefore, the wordsmith that is Lenny here, who has written a book about Justify. I just read the manuscript yesterday. I sat down and read it in one day. Uh, compelling. That whole story of 111 days that we know about winning the Triple Crown, going undefeated, but all leading up to it and intertwined, it's just beautiful. Well, your speed reading efforts are more impressive than the book, quite honestly. But, uh, yeah, Nogales is interesting because, of course, that's where Bob Baffert was born and raised. But uh, I used to live in Tucson as well, and we used to go down to Nogales. So I, I have some knowledge of that. We used to go down to Nogales. Do all kinds of uh, substance abuse to ourselves and go to the bars on the Mexican side and uh, drink incredibly cheap tequila all day. And above, I'll never forget this, above the bar in Nogales, they were watching Hee Haw at, <laughs> at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. And, uh, you, you know, as if we weren't disoriented enough already, that, that, that put us over the edge. But Nogales is a great little town. Well, you know, Buck Owens and Roy Clark never get old. I don't matter what part of the country you're in. That's true. Or, or, or in other countries as it is. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just fantastic. I really to understand Baffert, yeah. you know, which I do go into a, a chapter in the book about his background and, and borrowing from the great biography that Steve Haskin wrote. Yeah. Uh, actually, a funny you know, that, that was an autobiography, actually, on, on Bob Baffert. It was the only unauthorized autobiography in the history of publishing because <laughs> Baffert agreed to do the book and, and Steve Haskin was ghostwriting and Baffert stopped talking to him. <laughs> he didn't want to cooperate on the book anymore. So Haskin was writing Baffert's autobiography without Baffert's permission. The only unauthorized autobiography in the history of book publishing. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> I wonder if Bob's read the book. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to guess no, but, uh, but that was something. Of course, Bob was going through some personal turmoil at the time, and it was a, very much a dynamic situation. But, uh, but I must say, as far as this Justified book that you're kind enough to mention, uh, Bob was just incredibly cooperative with me. Um, Gave me all the time in the world uh, when when we talked at length about the story, and uh, he he was just great. Jill and Bob both so terrific about insights behind the scenes, things going on with the horse that uh, that I really hope readers will enjoy because there's so much going on. You know, as you yeah. know, every horse has an incredible story of which we see the tip of the iceberg usually right. and there's so much behind the scenes with the breeders and the raising of the horse and everything else and uh, bob was just so generous with his insights that it really helped make the book what i like about the book and you touch on it in the early part of it is is about the thing about horse racing you seem to have two camps people that just love the horses most most of us love animals we're big dog lovers too yeah you know but people that love the horses and then people that like the betting side of it and even every year at NBC, we have these friendly debates, or at least discussions. You know, how much is too inside? 
how much is appealing to a broad audience. We're hoping to go more for a broad audience here because I think horse racing's got to get a little broader audience because, yeah. let's face it, a lot of them are dying. You yeah. go to horse racing, you know, we're, we're still pretty young. We're spry. <laughs> we're not on canes and walkers yet. We're kind of hip. Yeah. Now, everybody working behind the scenes here, they're going, oh, yeah, got these two guys. They must be over 30. Good gracious. How can we work with them? We go to the track, we're gold. Well, it's funny because, you know, you, you've been in enough press boxes. And if you walk through the press box now, even as opposed to 20 years ago, you know, frankly, it, it's gotten really young. It's gotten very female oriented. Mm -hmm. Most of the turf writers coming up now seem to be mm -hmm. women. And uh, it's, it's just a very different vibe to it. I think women tend to like the horse aspect, the animal aspect, more than they care about the gambling. I'm trying not to be completely generalization, but, but I think that's true yeah. for, for the most part. And I talk about that in the, uh, in the very first chapter of the book, uh, you know, back the, the old days and what you see on, in the movies with the fedoras and the cigarette smoke and the guys <laughs> with the ribbon stained and the hands typing on the old keyboards now that's not really what it is anymore you know it's really it, it's keyboards about the size of a cigarette pack and uh and, and it really has you know it's a new generation it, it definitely is a different world out there as far as justify as you're writing this book were there a couple of things along the way that really surprised you and you know the insides and outsides and how it works with consigners and getting to the uh, auction ring and going on from there did, did you say wow that's that is really interesting yeah, the thing that really, I think the key thing that sparked my interest in this horse, and I and I go into it, was uh, I was interviewing Bob Baffert out in Santa Anita just for a story that we were doing, and I had to go do another interview, and I'm packing up my recorder in my bag, and uh, thanks, Bob, and he says to me out of nowhere, do you want to come see the Derby winner? And at that point, Mackenzie was a very established horse and a grade one winner, and uh, you would have thought that he was taking me to see McKenzie, but there was just something in his voice, like, you know, that, that character in Baffert that you yeah. just know something's always bubbling up beneath the surface. And when he asked somebody, if you want to see the Derby, you don't turn it down. You say, yes, Bob, I'll come with you to see the And he took me over to Justify Stall, who had been a maiden winner at that point. Yeah. So it's an incredibly bold statement to call him a Derby winner at that point. And turning the corner and looking into that stall and seeing that specimen of an animal, and we have seen a lot of horses yeah. in our years, and I'm telling you, I don't believe I've seen another horse look like that horse look like when we peered into that stall. Just a, a, almost a statue, just, just statuesque. And, you know, talking to Chad Brown subsequently, he had the same feeling when he laid eyes on this horse. You know, you want to say you knew there was something special about him, and I truly had that feeling the very first time I saw him. And son of a gun, if, you know, two and a half months later, he's not the Derby winner, and he's not this incredible superstar in the making. And uh, that moment to me just captured my imagination and really set me off on wanting to tell this horse's story. He's the only horse that I can remember. And I asked Jimmy Barnes, assistant trainer that works with Baffert for years, great team that they are. Uh, he, he couldn't remember it either, a horse that gained weight during the Triple Crown because <laughs> it's normal for a horse to lose weight. Yeah. You know, they drop 50, 70 pounds and nobody's panicking. You know, American Pharaoh, every good horse, Smarty Jones, name the good horse. They lost weight. Secretariat lost some weight. Yeah. This horse got bigger and stronger with each race. It was freaky how good-looking he was when he came over to the paddock for the Belmont. He looked maybe even better than when I saw him in the rain in Kentucky just five weeks earlier. It never stopped. It just never stopped. And if you talk to everybody, it makes a big deal about, yeah, the horse didn't race it too. But really, the amazing thing about it was that this horse could never have a bad day if he was going to stay on the schedule of getting to the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown. And if you talk to any horseman anywhere in this country, they can count on no fingers the amount of times they have had a horse that hasn't had a bad day, hasn't had this go wrong, hasn't had that go wrong. This horse never had a bad day. He never missed a meal. Umberto Gomez, who was his exercise yeah. rider through this thing, was the guy in charge of feeding him. And after the Preakness, which was that horrendous, foggy, rainy day and that 
race where he was all out to hold uh, on against Bravazo, and you would have thought he'd be a really tired horse, his second big race in two weeks. And Umberto said when he carried the feed that later that night to justify the horse was screaming for his food. <laughs> I mean, just like like the equivalent of where the hell have you been? Get over here and feed me. And he'd never seen anything like it because, you know, horses a lot of times won't eat that night. Right. They won't eat the next day. This horse never missed a piece of a meal. It, it was just amazing. The whole weather pattern from the deluge we had in Kentucky I know in Baltimore being up there, and I'm telling you, I saw John Carpenter and Adrian Barbeau. That's how foggy it was, and we're the only ones that know that. I, I think <laughs> Noah built himself a boat that day earlier. That, that was, that was we're, here, a... we're here all week in this bunker. <laughs> Be sure to tune in the horse racing show. One of the really great contributors to the book, and I thank him immensely, is your colleague Larry Colmus. Oh, yeah. Tremendous. job it was Tremendous to call. call that Preakness. And... Uh, he could not, not only couldn't he see the starting gate down the stretch, he couldn't see the 16th pole yeah. right in front of himself. I, I mean, you could not see what was going on that day. And your guys had the foresight to, to get a cameraman down to the starting gate to, to literally they shoot the to. starting yeah. gate from right where the starting gate was or else nobody would have seen the horse is breaking out of there to begin with. I'd never seen anything like it because uh, I remember being over in the barn area doing my last hit before I was going to walk over to the front side to be with Baffert. And you could see the fog rolling in, and it really was like one of those old John Carpenter, one of those old horror movies. The fo What's in that fog? <laughs> you know, it kept it kept coming in. And, uh, and by the way, Albert Hammond, a good mention yes. of Albert Hammond. <laughs> never <laughs> reigns in Southern California. You got that in for the – that's what I like about you. You're always getting <laughs> – you get stuff in there. <laughs> Not too many Albert Hammond references these days. Now, you know? it's probably just, I hope he's still, I think he's from Australia, by the way. Had never been to L.A. when he wrote the song. I believe that's correct. Is that correct. right? I think that's correct. He hooked up with Thomas... Scott McKenzie, uh, you know, if you're going to San yeah. Francisco or a flower, Fla two of the yeah. worst songs ever written yeah. uh, in our lifetime. But, I can't uh, wait till we do the musical show. <laughs> we got the guitar lady. <laughs> it's, right, it's right there. I can't sing worth a lick. I'll oh, we'll be great that. together <laughs> then. It'll be perfect. We'll probably go viral. You got to be really good or suck. And uh, then we'll, if you do one or the other, you'll probably go viral. We'll go viral in that case. Uh, the book is going to be coming out. Uh, it should be out uh, late March or early April. Triumph Books is uh, publishing it. They're out of uh, Chicago. And uh, I have impressed upon them the importance of getting it out as quickly as humanly possible to take advantage of the run-up to this year's Derby. And uh, I think that's going to happen. I wish I could tell you a couple of signing dates. I hope to do one with Bob Baffert at Santa Anita, maybe Mike Smith. And uh, maybe here in Lexington locally. Hopefully. You could come here. Yeah, we could do the sign here. We've got a refrigerator <laughs> with cold beverages. We'll, we'll actually be at Storage uh, Shed <laughs> Cheese across the street. Uh, well, we're, we're working on Be sure on to that. stop and get some beer cheese and some carpet remnants <laughs> and come on in. Get a swimming pool while you're here. It's, it's, it's we, got it, we got it all covered. We got it all covered. So it is coming. And I just learned uh, the other day that uh, Triumph Books is also doing a, an auto, a, a real autobiography. I take another colleague of yours uh, and a friend of ours, Eddie Olchek, oh, yes. is actually penning an autobiography uh, for, for the same publisher. So that'll be a great book also that they're coming out that with. will be he's one of the, one of the good guys yeah one of the guys that also enjoy it yeah you know yeah <laughs> and a hockey player you just can't get any better than horse racing and hockey together I, I know it's amazing how many hockey guys keep popping up in horse racing isn't it yeah yeah well the, you know paul redham's a big guy the guy that uh, i think every nyquist you know was named after a hockey player yes. will start you know i'll miss somebody's name out there and they'll pavel, pavel nyquist yeah. uh, there's a guy named eric johnson who's a number one draft choice yeah i think he and Olchek were part Partners in a yeah, horse and, or two. And yeah, Paul Redham as well. Yeah. They own horses together. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's something about it. Uh, maybe it's that hardcore uh, upbringing or something, but uh, there definitely is a connection there. 
Lenny, it's a pleasure having you on this show. <laughs> it's great to see you. Know, it's always you know, it's always a pleasure, but in this case, it's no BS. It's, it's the truth. It's the same. And you can these books are still available, aren't they? Right of their lives, I think you could get on on Amazon. Uh, maybe a nice used uh, copy of that, and, and if you're lucky, you get an autograph one. Because, Mine is. Yeah, because I well not, and I don't mean by me. I, I mean by. Uh, Eddie Delahousse or Mike Smith, or uh, we had a couple of jockeys out at Santa yeah. Anita, Lafitte Pinkai. So there are actually some really cool signed editions of those out there. And, and it's wonderful to get the insight more in the jockey uh, that I compare with any athlete. Uh, we can get into, I think they should be pushed a little more personally as far as personalities. Because as we know, and I want to get back to one more thing about yeah. the book, Justify, the controversy that Justify doesn't stay around. He's not American no. Pharaoh. He's not going to race in the Haskell and the Travers and the Breeders' Cup. Yeah. And and some resented that. And honestly, I thought he'd be a little closer vote for Horse of the Year. I voted for Justify. I don't think you can be undefeated Triple Crown winner and not win Horse of the Year. Because yeah. 15 years from now, you're going to look back on 18. Who are you going to remember? You know, some nice horses out there. Accelerate was a nice. Monomoy Girl, nice, certainly. But you had a triple crown winner, and that's what people are going to remember most. So, but but there were some in camp that kind of punished him because he didn't run anymore. Yeah, and that's understandable. You know, horse racing runs on people having differing opinions, right? That's what makes betting. It's what makes this whole world go around. And so people are going to be divided on what they saw. They only saw six races, so it's you know it's a half painted picture. My opinion, and it's no more valid than somebody who says something else. This is one of the greatest horses we will see in our lifetimes. I, I, I wish that he had the chance to further prove it by racing this year. Unfortunately, he didn't. But I will absolutely leave this earth believing in my heart of hearts that he was one of the greatest racehorses we'll ever see. I totally agree. The book is Justify, written by Lenny Shulman. It'll be coming out soon. Be sure to keep an eye on it because, trust me, uh, Friendship aside, 111 incredible days in the life of an incredible horse, but all the days leading up to it and everything that's intertwined from the breeders and the consigners and the farm owners, uh, it's just magnificently put together as you do. So I, I really recommend that to all their viewers out there. And by the way, you do write for the Blood Horse each week. Did I not mention that? And, and we do have a, I do have a story on John Gunther, who is the breeder of breeder. Justify, and, and his daughter Tanya, who are wonderful people, and uh, what, a, what a great job they've done. Lenny Shulman, please come back anytime. Thank you, sir. If you ever feel threatened, you got a safe place here. I'll, ne I'll never find it again, but, but <laughs> if I do, I will. <laughs> All right, thank you, Lenny. More of the horse racing show, because that's kind of what it is when we come back. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and at Horse Racing Show Twitter. I'm a social media How do maven. You do, is that written down somewhere? You How know, do you do that? I've never used a prompter. Whoa. Oh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Horse Racing Show. I'm Kenny Rice. Delighted to have with us a good friend of mine and uh, well-known throughout the world, Dr. Larry Bramlage with Rude and Riddle. Doctor, good to see you. Good to see you, Kenny. And I got to tell you, it's good to be able to interview you like this because for people that have watched over the years on NBC – we always had those very tedious, tense moments, not personally, but because of what was happening. I would come to Dr. Bramlage to ask about a horse injury uh, for those that watched, and he was a spokesman for years for the uh, equine practitioners. And so uh, we had some, you, you always handled it so well and, and got right to the facts. And I know a lot was going on and a lot of information was coming in, and, and you dissected it and, and uh, dispensed it so perfectly. Well, thank you. That was nice of you to say. Uh, you know, it was a good program. It is a good program. for um, nobody, nobody likes to see a horse injured. I mean, people love horses. Even people that don't know why, maybe mm -hmm. have never touched a horse, they love horses. So it, it hurts people when a horse gets hurt. And, you know, our job was to take the information and give to the people in a way they could process it. So even though they weren't happy about it, at least they could put it to bed in their mind to know what happened and that the horse was going to be taken care of. You know, especially on big shows. Uh, you know, Derby, Preakness, Belmont, Breeders' Cup, where you have an audience that doesn't always watch horse racing. They may be watching it four times a year, and the Derby, it might be the only time they watch. Uh, you could say anything, and they're going to go, huh? A, a cannon bone injury. Uh, what? You know? But you always put it, I think, more in layman's terms 
that at home you could go, okay, I get that. I can relate to that. So that's like having whatever part of my body's injured. Yeah, people people sort of understand their own injuries and have a perspective that way. So if you can put the perspective in a frame that they can identify with, well, then they understand the horse's injury a little better. Okay, what's going on right now at the hospital? What's uh, what's happening in the in the veterinarian world? Well, we're we're just gearing up to um, looking at yearlings right now. This is the season um, early in the year when the consigners look at all their yearlings and check their joints to see if there's anything they can take care of because you know they'll go to the sale in September and when they go to the sale, there's a um, catalog of x-rays that's available for the uh, purchasers to look at and and whenever they want to buy that helps them assign the value to the horse so horses they grow 20 times faster than we do you know they they're mature in two years not 20 and they get 10 times the size so their bones are growing amazingly fast and and so there's um, these accidents of growth called OCDs they're it's a Latin term for a little fragment in the in the horse's joint, and they have quite a few of those. And if they have developed one of those, they do it before ten year, ten months of age. So um, we're looking at them all now that are ten months of age. And if there's something we can solve, then they go to the sale with clean radiographs because it's not so much that. Um, each particular condition bothers the horse all that much. What really bothers their value is trainers don't like to buy horses that they got to then do surgery on, not so much because they're afraid of surgery, because surgery is fairly routine now, but it puts them off schedule with mm -hmm. breaking the horse. You know, they're, they're getting 20 horses coming in. They, they can't have an individual schedule for all 20 horses, so those horses bring more money at the sale if their radiographs are clean, and that's what we're about now. We're, we're doing arthroscopic surgery, um, taking out the fragments that are just mostly nuisances but would lead to arthritis when the horse is training heavily. Uh, and as far as uh, then the race horses, uh, you know, we're already on that derby trail, had some races over the weekend. What a stunner, by the way. Bob Baffert won a big race in California. Yeah, I <laughs> hope, it's a, hope it's a breakthrough for that young trainer. The, five of the six grade ones this year. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, I mean, Bob Baffert can train horses. There's no, yeah. there's no doubt about that. And, um, and when do the trainers? What what's the relationship you have with trainers when they bring them to Rude and Riddle, or you go guy you go out into the field, or how does that work with the horses that are on the track now that are racing now? Well, um, I have sort of gradually gotten to the point where I stay in the hospital all the time now, and we get a a regular flow of horses coming from the racetracks, mostly horses that are off form and don't have any obvious problems. I mean, if they've got a chip in the ankle or a chip in the knee, those guys at the racetrack, the veterinarians and the trainers, they're, they're going to find that. That's mm -hmm. not a problem. But uh, about this time of year, when you get towards the end of the meets in Florida and New Orleans and Hot Springs, um, if a horse is not performing, they will send them home to see what's wrong with them and hope that we can solve their problem and they can pick them back up when they come into town in April and May. So starting about uh, the middle of March or maybe the first week in March, those horses are arriving from all the different places when it's obvious they're not going to perform there during that meet. So you got the future race horses people are hoping in the yearlings. you got the current raced horses and they'll all converge at one point in time and it'll be a crazy month or so for you, a yeah, couple of months. And then about six weeks or two months after that, the foals start showing up. And, uh, you know, foals are showing up now for mostly medical problems. But from my perspective, where I work is where what we'll be doing is looking at foals that have confirmation faults. Uh, you know, horses are... We talk all the time about how economical a horse's skeleton is. The thoroughbred racehorse is so fast because he doesn't carry any more weight than he absolutely has to in order to get himself around the track. So when you're on that light of frame, if it's perfectly balanced, you're less likely to injure it. And, and that's why with foals, we're working on those foals to assure that they have the best confirmation that they can have. I have friends that follow mostly other sports, but they'll tune in and watch a horse racing show that I'm on. And inevitably they're going to say you know what amazes me those little legs carrying 11 or 1200 pounds around how, how do they not have an injury all the time well it's it is pretty amazing i mean they're not born with racehorse skeletons they actually make them while they're training and the uh, all horses 
all light horses, show horses, performance horses, race horses, they're, they're born with a sort of generic skeleton. They look like thoroughbreds, but their bones are uh, an average size. But then when you, you start training a horse and the bones respond. And though their cannon bones look fairly small when you compare them to the whole horse, they've tripled in size since that horse starts training. Mm -hmm. And that's how responsive the bone is. So the horse adds bone where he absolutely has to have it but they don't carry a draft horse skeleton around the, the racetrack because it would be dead weight. Right. And, and so uh, they're, they're, they're like Ferraris. They're just as, just as economical as they can be with their structure. That's why we have you on. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's, I guarantee there's guys that sat at the rail for years trying to wheel those bets that did not mm -hmm. know this. Well, it's a, the, the racehorse, the thoroughbred racehorse is an amazing animal. And, I, and I've said before, I wish at some time in my life I would ever have been as fit as those horses are. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just so fit that uh, the, the, the saying is they're jumping out of their skin. But if you watch a racehorse, you know exactly what that means because they have so much energy. They just want to do something, and sometimes their decisions aren't right. <laughs> you know, they can hurt themselves too. Yeah, I think it was a Wayne Lucas line. Uh, I'll give him credit right now. Somebody might have said it before them, but I remember he said, you know, horses, you got to remember, they get up every day figuring out a way to hurt themselves. <laughs> yeah, that is almost the case. Uh, they, they just have so much energy. You know, they're like a... Um, a four-year-old child who doesn't know what to do with himself, but he has to wear out so much energy during the day in order to get to sleep at night. So, um, they are amazing animals. This is a cold and flu season for many of us. Do horses get colds? Absolutely. Um, the, the, the yearlings now are, are passing viruses around just like the kids pass viruses around in school. But the, the big ones are similar diseases to people, not, not the same disease, but the same category, influenza. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the herpes virus respiratory disease, and then there are several other kinds of um, herpes virus as well. But horses get those things. Fortunately, uh, the vaccination programs that the trainers use and um, that most people use on the farm uh, there used to be huge epidemics of uh, influenza. In fact, it was a reportable disease for a while. Government had, you had to report it to the government, but now the vaccination programs are good enough that it's, they're pretty much controlled. Doctor, fascinating as always. Please come back. I will. It's, this is fun. I'm going to call Rudin Riddle say, send Larry back. <laughs> then all the other vets will get mad. That'll be my pleasure. I mean, they won't get mad. Nah, <laughs> they, we go back a long way. Yeah, it, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Doctor. You're welcome. Stay with us. We'll wrap things up here on the Horse Racing Show. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, at uh, iTunes, at uh, Google Play. Go to our Facebook page and like us, and then also go to at Horse Racing, and you can go to thehorseracingshow.com. Look at this, Larry. We're just like social media mavens out here, aren't we? Just throwing all this stuff out. <laughs> well, it's a nice, informal show. It's fun to, fun to do it. Oh, thank you. Stay with us. We'll wrap it up. Well, thank you for joining us this week, and thanks to our special guest, Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. Lenny Shulman, who has the book coming out very soon about Justify and that amazing run to the Triple Crown, and Dr. Larry Bramlage from Rude and Riddle. And thank you for tuning in. Next week will be all about love. It's our Valentine's special, the love affair that we have with horses. And, of course, the breeding season, how important it is to maybe get that future star, that correct mating that will put another outstanding horse on the track. Until then, take care, everyone. I'm Kenny Rice, and you have been watching The Horse Racing Show.